You're listening to the On the NBA Beat podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. And now, your hosts, Lauren Lee Chen and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fisher. So it's episode 10B. We'll definitely be talking about the Washington Wizards, as we always do, following our team-focused interviews. But as a podcast, the three of us decided that we will emphasize our first discussion about Rondo and Bill Kennedy, that whole ugly incident that happened a couple weeks ago, and discuss that first. Our podcast, on behalf of Lauren and Joshua, would like to applaud longtime referee Bill Kennedy, now in his 18th NBA season, for coming out publicly and sharing his truth that he is a proud gay man. However, the circumstances of his coming out to the broader public were very unfortunate. Kings point guard Rajon Rondo may have forced Kennedy's hand by twice directing a gay slur at Kennedy after he stared him down and was subsequently ejected from the Kings' December 3rd game in Mexico City. That was the infamous mean-mugging ejection. And it wasn't really known what Rondo actually said. Then when it started to come out through great reporting and digging by Yahoo Sports and a number of other outlets what Rondo actually said, the league had to do something. So eight days after the incident, the NBA suspended Rondo for a single game for, quote, directing a derogatory and offensive term towards a game official and not leaving the court in a timely manner upon his ejection. Then three days later, on December 14th, Bill Kennedy comes out as gay. Later that day, the Kings release a statement apologizing to Bill Kennedy Vladi Divac, the GM, and the owner Vivek Ranadive also apologized to Kennedy. And Divac personally calls Billy Kennedy and apologizes, something that Rondo has reportedly still yet to do. On that day, Rondo did, however, issue two tweets that were rightfully considered non-apologies. We'll get to the exact verbiage. And then the next day, he issued a full statement clarifying his apology, and it, it was a lot better and more legitimate, in my opinion. But that's the basic timeline. Now we'll dig into it. We obviously would all agree that it was an ugly incident and it shouldn't have happened. But I want to get each of your opening thoughts on how Rondo's handled everything following that December 3rd night in Mexico City. Well, I'll jump in first. As you mentioned, the timeline went first when the big story was beginning to come out. Rondo was denying all rumors that he had used the language that was alleged. And then it came out that other officials within Earshot corroborated the story. And also when they looked at the game tape, two independent audiologists also confirmed the language used. And then after the suspension was handed down and after Bill Kennedy came out and released his own statement and it became a bigger issue, Rondo released his two tweets that I think we all agree were not the correct way to handle the situation. I'll read his two tweets here. His first tweet was, 
My actions during the game were out of frustration and emotion, period. And then the second one, they absolutely do not reflect my feelings toward the LGBT community. I did not mean to offend or disrespect anyone. And I guess I'm not surprised so much, but I am disappointed because one thing that's missing from those tweets are any sort of apology. They are sort of just a deflection of responsibility. Lauren, sorry to interrupt. It's kind of like if you just read that word for word, it's basically like, I'm sorry that you were offended and right. not sorry for my actions. And and like you said, the word sorry did not even appear in either tweet. Right. It's just trying to absolve himself of any wrongdoing without accepting responsibility of the consequences of his actions, I think. Can we go over to you now, Joshua? Rondo clearly mishandled the situation from the jump here. The first mistake that he makes is denying the fact that that he said what he was accused of saying and what has now been proven. Obviously, in, in today's day and age and with the NBA's economic financial power, it's it's obvious that it was going to, to end up coming out what actually happened there and that he used the slur that he did. But that's the, the least of his problems. After it was confirmed that um, Rondo did direct that, that word twice towards Bill Kennedy, his lack of remorse seemingly in his two tweets that were um, essentially non-apologies and also taking to Twitter for that, that's, that's not a heartfelt way to show that you really feel badly and want to take back what you said and make it right. Not that there's anything wrong with Twitter, but he re- releases these one-sentence things that are, like Aaron was saying, more like, I'm sorry that you were offended. Not what I said was horribly wrong. So Rondo just completely mishandles this. And also, if you're going to use Twitter, you should use an app where you can extend your your remarks so you're not condensed to 140 characters or fewer. And he didn't do that. He just had those two tweets that either didn't reflect what he meant to say or he's lying in the full statement. But I want to get to the heart of his tweets. First of all, as... Lauren pointed out and and many have pointed out the tweet was almost word for word what Kobe Bryant said in 2011 particularly about that he didn't mean to offend the LGBT community and that the remarks were made in the heat of the moment period was basically plagiarized word for word from what Kobe did they are basically the same if you combine them so um Rondo says out of frustration and emotion period And what Kobe said was out of frustration during the heat of the game, period. So slightly different wording, but very similar. And then they both say essentially word for word the same thing about did not um, reflect my feelings towards the the LGBT community, basically. But I want to ask both of you, I'll start with Joshua. What is this heat of the moment business? If you've said a word before, a hurtful derogatory word how does heat of the moment check out? How does that work as an explanation? It doesn't work as a legitimate excuse for me. I'll tell you why I think pro athletes have been using that excuse since time immemorial and will, will continue to. 
they think that they have a lot of pro athletes think that they have a license to to condone anything they say or do by saying oh i'm an elite athlete it was in competition i want to wake up to to play in in the heat of competition and and then afterwards if i offended you by my actions i'm sorry but you have to understand because of who i am as an athlete that will happen and that's just when you pay me all this money to leave my blood sweat and tears out there on the court or on the field that's that's part of the thing that you're going to get as part of the package it's not a good excuse you can't say horrible things and 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 um lay blameless at the end of it i want to say one thing we're not puritans here we condone the use of bad words in the heat of the moment it happens it's not ideal but when there's a call that goes against you when you get a technical or you get ejected you're going to cuss you're an adult that happens but there are certain words that should not be in your vocabulary they shouldn't be easily accessible ready for the taking in the heat of the moment obviously Rondo didn't consciously make the choice to say this. It happened in a matter of tenths of a second. But undoubtedly, it's something that he said before, right, Lauren? Yeah, I think we have to make this a distinction between just normally profane words, cursing or swearing. That's typical of an athlete versus hateful speech. Uh, it's not exactly known, but it, it is alleged that it was a known thing that Bill Kennedy was gay in the league, just not in wider circles. And if so, we don't know if Rondo's words were targeted, but if so, that's a big distinction to make because it turns it into much more hateful of a targeting. Yeah. And also, this is part of why I think this was a huge opportunity, huge missed opportunity by Rondo and a teachable moment. Rondo's full statement was pretty good and pretty complete. He says that there's no place on or off the court for language that disrespects anyone's sexual orientation. And that's what he really needed to say initially. I think it's hard right now for him to undo the harm that was done by his initial two tweets that he fired off clearly without thinking about how they would be received because they were they were insensitive, those tweets. Let's just be honest about it, at least in my opinion. But the full statement he eventually eventually released was good, and Devoch gave really good, detailed quotes that were compassionate about why it was wrong and how he personally apologized to Billy Kennedy. But has Rondo gone far enough, do you think, Joshua? I don't know that he has. I believe that the statement that he ended up putting out, although it was too late, um, was great and pretty comprehensive. The reason why I say I don't know if he's gone far enough is because I can't know and don't know unless Bill Kennedy comes out and says that he did. I can't know that Rondo personally apologized to Kennedy, and he needs to do that. He also needs to just stop using the word, the slur. He says in the statement that there's no place on it or off the court for language that disrespects anyone's sexual orientation, but he shouldn't even use that word with his friends who are not gay. He just shouldn't use the word at all. Yeah, that's a great point. He also says he strives every day to be a better person, which I I like that part of the quote because obviously no one's perfect. And I I don't want to come off as solely blaming Rondo because a lot of times what's in your vernacular is how you were raised. And 
it's not necessarily you were raised better or worse than that. It's just certain regions or certain demographics or whatever the case may be, it's not considered offensive or it's not understood the repercussions of using that term. And he should have already understood based on everything that the NBA has released in the past about it. But now that he has a better understanding of how harmful those words are, I just hope that he can cut it out of his vocabulary or continue to strive to do that as he's said. I want to now go to you, Lauren, and just delve more into the role model aspect of it. Charles Barkley famously said, I think it was the title of one of his books, that he's not a role model. But Rondo kind of is a role model, isn't he here? I think he needs to lead by example. And in that sense, he is a role model. And just getting back into what you mentioned about the word being in your vocabulary, obviously it's a larger societal issue. And possibly, I think everyone agrees that this targeted usage of that slur is never okay. But some people who listen to our podcast might not understand why just casual usage of these type of slurs with your friends, you know, I think we've all experienced it in our life, why that isn't okay either. And I think you need to recognize that even if you're not intending to say something bad about gay people, just using that term as a playful insult for your friends is inherently associating the fact of being gay with something that's bad or something that's lesser than what you consider to be normal, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And well said. That just feeds into this culture of bias that we have. That It's important what you said. Kobe Bryant, for instance, in 2011, and I'm not saying we know 100% that Rondo was targeting Bill Kennedy with the term. He may or may not have been, but Kobe Bryant likely wasn't at, um, at Benny Adams in 2011. And it was still just inexcusable what he did. And it goes to what you were saying about use of the term, whether or not you're referring to someone you believe is gay or whether or not you're just joking amongst friends. It reinforces hate. And I, I mean, some people might say this is too extreme of a, of a, of a statement, but I personally think it makes the world a a worse place to live in and a less loving place. Um, You make fun of me, if you will, but that's just, that's how I see it. There were a number of really good articles that were written on the topic. Sometimes I feel like in the journalism world, and this isn't uh, to sound elitist or better than, but sometimes journalists write for other journalists and then a lot of commenters out there just don't get it and then they write hurtful comments or just they think this whole thing is blown out of proportion or there's some liberal agenda or whatever but i highly recommend a couple of articles sam amick from usa today wrote a great one ben goliver of um, sports illustrated another really good one on this issue probably don't read the comments section if you're um, open-minded about the issue because it's not really a lot of constructive stuff going on as really happens in most online comment section. But those are a couple of good articles. Dave Zirin wrote an interesting one for The Nation 
and I want to get to that just before we start to wind down. He talked about the one-game suspension and Commissioner Adam Silver kind of sweeping this whole thing under the rug by issuing the one-game suspension, but there may have been another motive of Adam Silver's. Can you talk about that, Lauren? Um, Dave Deeran alleges that Adam Silver essentially tried to cover up the situation by only issuing a one-game suspension. I think Adam Silver himself... (laughs) explained it by saying that if he issued more than one game, he didn't want to be the one if he issues a larger suspension to essentially out Bill Kennedy before he was ready. Because remember, at the time of the suspension, Bill Kennedy hadn't come out yet. So, And, and also not a lot was known about what Rondo actually said. It was just that was the mean mugging ejection and people thought it was funny, but they didn't know the actual slurs that were hurled his way. And also Adam Silver used the term red flag. So he didn't want to raise red flags. Um, Journalists still jumped on the story, but it would have gotten way more attention if it was a three or four game suspension as opposed to one. So that's Silver's rationale. Believe that if you want. I, I tend to believe Adam Silver on this and take his word for it, whereas Zirin takes a much harsher take on it. Can you touch on that a little more, Lauren, what Zirin is saying? Right. Zirin essentially says that Adam Silver should have come down much harder, should have coordinated some sort of statement alongside Bill Kennedy, and in not doing so, he wanted to save face for the league and have it essentially be swept under the rug. I think there's some naivete, though, in in that column by Dave Zirin also, just that Kennedy would... I mean, I guess he could work with Kennedy behind closed doors and see if he's ready to come out or not, but that's such a personal decision to come out. I don't know if Silver was comfortable doing that. I, I would imagine not. Also, another element to it was that Dave Zirin kind of accuses um, Adam Silver of doing this all under secrecy just to kind of make it seem like the NBA is more evolved than it is on the issue of gay acceptance and homophobia. And I think that's a huge leap. I don't think you can put words in Adam Silver's mouth like that, saying that Adam Silver is just pretending or wants people to believe that gay rights and gay people are accepted in the NBA. I think that Zirin just... It's no offense, but it seemed like he was trying to fill a column. And I think that he was unfair to Adam Silver in this situation. But that's just my take. So obviously, as disappointing as this whole episode incident was, and it definitely was disappointing to happen for Rondo and Billy Kennedy, good definitely can come out of this. Now there's the second openly gay official after Violet Palmer came out in 2014. So uh, there's more representation there. And then also that same week, the Connecticut son of the WNBA hired an openly gay man as head coach. So there's some some improvement. And there's been um, inroads definitely in the LGBT community in 2015. But as with a lot of things in our society... The work is nowhere near done, and uh, everyone just has to continue to 
be open-minded, tolerant, and accepting of everyone else. And I think that we can end it right there. And let's play some music and we'll come back. In this segment, we're going to revisit our talk about the Washington Wizards that we had with Mike Prada earlier this week. One thing we talked about during that episode was Otto Porter's opportunity coming into this season after Pierce's departure, and now especially that Bradley Beal is injured, he should be expected to be relied on much more. Mike Prada has characterized his season so far as a disappointment. To what extent do you agree with that, Joshua? I wouldn't necessarily characterize Otto Porter Jr.'s season as a disappointment. There are some areas where he's clearly struggling, and he was really good in the playoffs. In the first seven of the Wizards' ten playoff games last season, Porter was amazing in every aspect. He was shooting the three well. He was making most of his shots playing amazing defense, both shot defense and being really disruptive, getting a lot of steals. This season, his shot defense has been horrible. He's shooting under 27.5% from three. His turnover rate, when looking at traditional stats, doesn't look that bad, but very high percentage of these are unforced. He drops passes, sometimes just missed dribbles. He's been playing pretty sloppy. That said... Porter's had a couple huge offensive games that just showcase how good he truly can be. He scored 28 on December 12th in Dallas, and um, he did it efficiently. The sixth game of the season in Atlanta, he had 23 points. Porter did on 8 for 12 from the field and 3 of 5 from deep. So this guy is long, athletic. He has a 7-1 wingspan. I would say that that it's not been a disappointment this season because we've seen flashes, but the consistency has not been there. Another consequence of the Bradley Beal injury is that it might open up a little bit of an opportunity for Kelly Oubre to show off what he can do. He had a nice game against the Spurs earlier this week. Aaron, what have you seen from him so far, and do you think he can earn some more minutes with this opportunity? He definitely showed some flashes in that San Antonio game. He had a season-high 18 points and uh, 25 minutes. He actually played 26 minutes against the Thunder in November. But if you look at his game log, there's a lot of either DNPs or five minutes or fewer. And if you're a young player, you're not going to improve just getting minutes that inconsistently like that or consistently so low. So he's going to need playing time in, in order to improve. And there could be an opening with Otto Porter's injury. Otto Porter may not miss any games. We're not sure yet if he'll play in the Charlotte one that will happen before this episode's released. But he's going to need more playing time. And it's funny, he was 19 years old when he was drafted. He's 20 now. He was kind of cocky. Him and Cameron Payne were the two guys that were basically not really that grateful to be drafted and more like, yeah, I'm going to be a star in this league. So far, he hasn't shown it, but he hasn't gotten the reps or the opportunity. So I'd be interested to see what he does with more court time, basically. Now, whenever we talk about the Wizards, a lot of the discussion 
tends to come back to their best player, John Wall, their point guard. Mike Prada also thought he has been relatively disappointing this season to his standards. How would you assess how he's doing, Aaron? I think from a statistical standpoint, and statistics can be very misleading, obviously wins and losses are more important. And if you're a star of a team or one of the stars, that's going to reflect poorly on you. But but yeah, basically from a statistical standpoint, he hasn't been worse necessarily, except for one big thing, and that's turnovers, which is completely understandable. Their depth hasn't been there with the injuries to Nene and now Beal and without Paul Pierce. So he's pressing a little bit too much, just trying to do too much. But I said this on the episode, I stand by it. I think he's one of the more underrated players in the league. I don't think you can put most or even more than half of the blame on him for the Wizards' poor start. I I think he's been pretty good. He just has to take better care of the basketball. But that's easier said than done when you're being relied upon to increase your scoring load while still distributing a lot. So I like John Wall. Just keep it under control and you'll be good. Joshua, anything to add to that? I agree with a lot of the points Aaron made. John Wall has, is still having a good season. He's actually shooting far better from three-point land. He's taking a lot more threes than he did last season, and he's shooting right now over 34%. Last season, he shot just 30% from there. Um, his turnovers are, are way too damn high, just like the rent, according to some people. He's shooting a lot. He's shooting over 16 times per game. He also did that two seasons ago. But he's one of the best players in the league. He's so good on defense. It's just amazing. Um, And that has continued this season as well. He's consistently at the top of the league in steals. And And his shot defense is great too. Yeah, just last thing that I wanted to add. And I want to preface this by saying that Mike Prada is the expert. I am not. He's watched all those Wizards games. And um, I've only seen them a handful of times, less than a handful of times this season. But I think 30% chance of the playoffs is a little low. That's what Mike projected. I would say it's closer to 50%, just given who they have on their team and their track record of success. But that's just my personal opinion. Again, Mike Prada is the expert here. But I would agree with Aaron that I believe the Wizards have a higher than 30% chance of making the playoffs. Right now, they're only four games out. They've only played 24 games. Bradley Beal is injured, shouldn't be out too long. They have a core of Bradley Beal, John Wall, and Otto Porter, who, um, as I said earlier, has shown a lot of promise. If their ancillary players start playing a lot better and Wall improves and Porter does as well. I think this team should make the playoffs. A lot of the other teams, I I can see them falling off, like the Hornets, Magic, and Pistons. At the same time, I can see why Mike Prada is a little bit worried, since there is still a lot of season left to be played, but we're past the quarterway mark now, and as he mentioned, there are a lot of teams that the Wizards would need to jump over in order to make it into the playoffs. And... At this point, all those teams have showed that they're playing well, so it's a little bit easier said than done for a team to make up that gap. And I think the Wizards might need to shake things up. Now that it's trade season, maybe we could see a trade on their horizon. 
I know one idea that Kevin Pelton suggested was a trade of Martin Gortat and Nene for Dwight Howard. Uh, I'm not sure that would be necessarily in the Wizards' best interest, but that's one idea in case they need a little bit of a boost. That's all for this show. Thanks again for listening, and as always, if you have any thoughts about anything we said on this episode, please let us know on Twitter where you can find us at OnTheNBAB, or you can leave a comment on our website or email us at contact at OnTheNBAB.com. Be sure to tune in next week when we have special guest radio play-by-play man Eric Hasseltine on to talk about the Memphis Grizzlies.